You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Welcome again for another Physics Ed Podcast. Glad to have you again for another chat around STEM. And in this particular case, we are hanging out with someone who's incredibly passionate about building capacity in science communication. So much so that since 2003, Dr. Graham Walker has been working in the Asia-Pacific area, Africa, and the Middle East, and has worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people through dynamic partnerships and on the ground. He is at the National Centre for Public Awareness of Science, CPAS, at the Australian National University, where he convenes a bunch of postgraduate coursework, and he really loves making science happen. So, so he founded Science Circus Africa, which has reached over 500 staff, and through them, 73,000 people in 10 African countries, and currently involved in the DFAT-supported program, Science Circus Pacific. He is a massive aficionado of science shows and workshops and has trained all over the world. So today, we're talking with someone who really knows their stuff when it comes to science communication. So let's get into it. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun, free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Good to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. I've been thinking just a little while ago, how have we not crossed paths before? <laughs> some I ways. Think, look, I, I've had my eye on you. I know the 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 team at physics do good stuff and oh, thank you. pictures on um, social media. But if I'm not mistaken, I think maybe you came to one of my science shows at a library once as well. But I might have. Might have been someone else at Woden Library. Um, I have been to Woden before, but mind you, we have had other people there before. It gets like that. You just don't know where you've been last. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I've done a few shows in a few places, but um, yeah, look, it's good to have this opportunity to connect properly. Yeah, and honestly, um, just chat science communication, why on earth we actually do it. <laughs> And all that sort of thing. I mean, gosh, you've been doing it all over the world. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. I guess I, I've been working in science communication for for a, a fair while now. And yeah, in Africa, the Pacific, Middle East. Um, yeah, I think it, it's um, I think uh, one of the the really important things I think science communication can do is you know can contribute to wider development issues and you know address sustainable development goals and you know a lot of um, low and middle income countries that you work in in Africa you know the whether it's um, you know the science is happening in schools or or the you know science is happening outside in the community. Um, you know, uh, yeah, there, there's lots of opportunities for science to make a difference. And yeah, so that that's, um, yeah, and it's also a great adventure working in those different um, countries and cultures and, and yeah, and seeing how, um, you know, different cultures, different countries, like what, why is science important to them and, and, you know, the different ways they communicate it. It's, it's really fascinating. What's the fun thing about informal learning? I mean, I mean, I used to be a formal teacher once upon a time, but informal allows you to really play in areas that you're unexpected <laughs> they really are I mean that the ability to cross um cultural I mean just the partnerships alone I mean I was just thinking about the work you've been doing in Africa and I mean and currently in, in the Pacific as well in bits and pieces undoubtedly that means you're crossing across a lot of different people from a lot of different persuasions and where they want to head with it I guess um as I think about well embedding science in the community I guess a lot of this is about what they want not necessarily what we want 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a good place to start uh, yeah. as a, you know, frankly, as a teacher in a classroom or even more so a science communicator is, um, you know, what's relevant to your audience. Uh, when I did my um, my doctoral research on science shows and far away, like if you want to quantitatively measure a whole lot of different, you know, fairly critical things in a science show, um, making it relevant to your audience, that's the thing that inspires the, um, inspires them. Um, and that's the thing, like if, if you're trying to change behavior or shift attitudes, that that is the variable that that is doing so much more than everything else. So, you know, you can be like an amazingly enthusiastic presenter, you can have the big flashy demo, um, you know, and people might go away smiling from an experience or a show like that. But if you want to actually make a change in those people and those communities, then yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be relevant. Yeah, and not necessarily the flashy demos. I mean, I was I hung up with quite a few people on this podcast talking about, honestly, just simply water. Yeah. <laughs> Do some great simple stuff, which will grab your attention if you're looking carefully enough. Yeah, absolutely. And and I gotta say, and this is another cultural thing. I mean, probably a lot of your listeners um, will have you know seen the demo where you you take a cup. You can I'll just get my cup in frame. You know, <laughs> you put a card on it. You turn it upside down. You remove the hand. The the you know the the plate or whatever stays there and you know there's variations on it and um you know it's one you see written up in textbooks and and you might think it's old hat I've got photos of um you know kids in you know villages in Malawi and stuff you know seeing that for the first time and yeah. and yeah the, the magic is there and I think um there's something about that simple stuff and um, I like to say, um, you know, doing extraordinary science with ordinary stuff uh, that, that I think is, you know, potentially, you know, more impactful and more magical. I mean, I love a big flashy demo and I love like, you know, I've got hovercrafts and all kinds yes. of things in that. Let's unblur the background in case anyone, yeah, and you can see, yeah, hovercrafts and yes. pieces. But yeah, look, you know, some classic props, as you say right there. So oh, I mean, this is a thing. I mean, uh, and and anyone listening in will hundred percent understand this. I mean, anyone that does science teaching or science communication for a living just has bits and pieces everywhere. Yes, I've got a hovercraft at the back as well. <laughs> it's kind of like hovercraft the two paces. Who who's one can carry more? <laughs> but it's, the thing is, what I love about it, like what you did in Malawi, it is. It's simple. They can get a cup of water from anywhere. They can get a piece of paper and they can do it. And what I love doing with these audiences is go right. So you've seen it. You've seen the trick. Here's the recipe. Here's the procedure. But what can we do to make it better, quote unquote? Can we push this to its nth degree? Do we use, can we do it with a bucket? What about a barrel? Like at what point will this not work in, in exploring it? And that's the fun part. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'll actually, I'll be doing a workshop um, in Malaysia later this year, but I, I see like a demo very much kind of like an onion, you know, yeah. you've got to, obviously the science has got to be in the middle. Um I think it's something particularly in informal science learning settings, sometimes forget that science is the, the middle word there. Um, yes. you know, and the whiz bang and the theater, that's great, but the science got to be there. So that's the middle of your onion. And then you've got, you know, well, how are you going to explain that? Thinking about your audience, how are you going to connect with them, make it relevant? How are you going to, you know, bring those emotions in and, you know, use interactivity or theatre or, you know, your own enthusiasm to connect. So I think there's so many things we can wrap around a, a good demo or a good piece of science communication. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, I think about these demonstrations 
they don't necessarily have to be linear. Um, so, I mean, I was just, just thinking as you were talking there about, I mean, I was able to pop out to parks, the CSIRO, this awesome observatory that people won't know as the dish, this massive 64 metre thing that looks out to, for pulsars and bits. Um, and we're asked to do some science shows during the Elvis Festival, which by the way, was frankly fun doing science in front of a whole bunch of Elvises. Seriously, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Uh, where am I going with this? So we're doing standard demonstrations like the liquid nitrogen and whatnot. But prior to going on to do this thing in front of this dish, I went, well, let's just learn a bit more about how they constructed the dish and how they did it. And I went, well, oh, the tolerances, they had to weld this thing at night because the temperature differences between day and night would mess up the welding of this massive parabolic dish. And it got me thinking, well, well cool. Now I can now actually link a very standard demo of the ball and ring apparatus shoving in nitrogen and then, oh, it doesn't fit anymore. Linking it suddenly to something that's right in front of them, this massive thing is, is important. And I guess what I'm getting at is often when we go out, uh, people say, oh, how is this relevant? How is this experiment somehow linked to their lives? Or is it just an oddity? Is it something just kind of cool? It's kind of neat, but it doesn't affect anything. The thing is, if you think deeper about it, there's lots of tangents you can go with any of these experiments. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, that, I mean, that idea of relevance, you know, how's it link? And I mean, for any teachers uh, listening or anyone interested in this area, some great, um, a great paper by uh, Stacey Pranisky. I hope I'm uh, pronouncing that right, if you're listening, Stacey. But um, what she does is actually she breaks that idea because I think often we go, oh, you know, we've got to, you know, got to make this demo, you know, the, the ball through the thing relevant. And, yep. you know, and you've made that link. But, but I think, um, you know, it can be a, a struggle as a communicator and an educator to think, all right, well, how can I approach that in a really methodical way? And um, what Stacey kind of gives this model where they break relevance down and, and cite like a lot of great studies um, into, you know, look, how can we just link it to everyday life? So that my, you know, the most fundamental um, part of relevance, it's got to be, well, it's got to be part of my life. It's yeah. going to be relevant to me. Um, but then going up a level and saying, all right, well, what would actually be useful for me? Um, what's going to help me achieve my goals? So more specific than just being in my life, actually being a useful um, feature in my life. And then right up to this top level, and this kind of goes back to um, the, the kind of cultural and um, international stuff we were talking about. But, you know, when the science can link in with something deep in a person's identity or their culture, you know, the things you hold really dear and yeah. um, things that make you you, when you find those connections with the science, then that that's the kind of relevance that just, you know, it stays with you and it motivates people. So, um, yeah, great paper. And I can give you the reference for that, Ben. Um, oh, real access features. Yeah. That'd be so perfect. And I was just thinking about... Um, these kids in the audiences, the kids in the workshops that get to uh, you know, participate, every now and then they can suddenly have this light bulb come on and they can say, oh, you know what, I can apply said knowledge. I was thinking about, uh, I mean, I think he spoke on TED. I think he has a movie about him. This bloke in, in, in Africa that really genuinely needed to get a wind farm going yeah. to power his village and did it from bits and pieces from the local, frankly, rubbish tip, the garbage dump, and made it happen. Mm. And, you know, great on it. Seriously, and there's a reason why he's on the TED Talk. There's a reason why there's a movie. It's incredibly inspiring. But he was applying it. He made it relevant to his life. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to say the, um, like, uh, there's probably, you know, some science communicators. Dare say, I mean, you're a freelance science communicator. You'd know what um, operating on a budget. and Oh, yeah. Um, just, you know, 
creating magic out of the stuff you got lying around in the shed. Um, yeah, and certainly, I mean, in uh, that's something I love about a lot of these. Um, you know, if I look at the toys my son wants, they're all complicated. They're all, you know, out of the box amazing. I think that, um, you know, the toys and and frankly, some of the science equipment that teachers make, uh, you know, in Africa um, is just amazing, you know, and it's all built from scratch and fantastic STEM principles in there. And um, yeah, even um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities here, you know, you see these this great, um, you know, kind of fusion of traditional crafts yeah. with STEM and things like that. And yeah, it is, there's a lot to learn. And the beauty about the maker movement, which really has gotten a bit of a go, I mean, it's going on for a bit of, you know, a bit over 10 years now, and you know, it's effectively timestamps this chat, but uh, it really is applicable outside of frankly education period. I mean, um, I was chatting with someone um, a little while ago about, oh yeah, we're using raspberry pies to do these various things that we're teaching with. And the bloke said, oh, oh, I've got something like that. And he's using um, <laughs> one of the pies to, um, to measure the mass of his beehives, of all things. And he said, well, what this means is at a certain mass, he goes, oh, well, that means it's ready to harvest. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a friend and she does beekeeping. And otherwise, you know, you've got to get the frame out and, yes. and get all your gear on and upset the bees. So, no, no, I think that's, Simplicity. Good, I mean, that's what STEM should be about, you know, taking, you know, taking whatever it is and, and finding out where, where it fits in your life. So, yeah, and I think I was very much um, brought up like that. Uh, my grandfather was... Um, yeah, I think quite an eccentric example of that. And that's, I guess, kind of flowed through. Yeah. So you're heavily involved uh, with um, the new people that come through on the science circus training through ANU. Um, how do you find that they come from all different um, aspects, from all different walks of life? How do you sort of uh, uh, work with the talents in front, of, in front of you, plus also run through a formal program? What's that like every year? Yeah, so um, yeah, so I've been involved. Um, so I'm based at a place called the Centre for the Public Awareness of Science um, at the Australian National University. And we've been working uh, with Questacon, um, geez, yeah, since Questacon started, because mm. Questacon started um, under a staircase, a couple of buildings to the left of me. Um, yeah, so, so um, Questacon, a big our national science centre in Australia for for people overseas, um, you know, and we're a university doing science communication. Um, a big thing uh, that that I think is really important when you're learning to do science communication, whether that's you know you're doing a training course for a day, uh, you're an amateur wanting to teach yourself or, or you're in a formal course like we run is you go out there and you actually do science communication in authentic settings with authentic audiences. Um, like I'm sure uh, people out there can imagine like when they've given a talk um, to a bunch of their mates when they're practicing, completely different thing if you go and do it with that audience. So, um, yeah, so, so that's the kind of philosophy we bring to it. Um, the Science Circus has been going um, for a long time. This year, uh, we are trying a, a different approach um, with Questacon, where students, um, uh, they get a bit of experience touring, but they're also embedded with other teams uh, at the Science Centre at Questacon and, and get some experience in other areas of... Um, you know, science communication that happens in science centres that might be like conceptualising exhibits, doing evaluation and things like that. So um, as far as like how it is for me, I think um, I like I, I love it. And I think um, 
a lot of people get to a point in their career where they've done lots of you know exciting stuff themselves but and and continue to do that but you get a real buzz and a real kind of deeper satisfaction in sharing that with other people and seeing how they then apply those tools or don't apply or find their own tools and, and go off and make it theirs and and I think whether I'm I'm doing that, um, you know, here at the university or doing that with partners in our capacity building projects. It's a, yeah, it's, it's a real buzz. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, it, it keeps me fresh as a science communicator as well. Um, every year, uh, you know, I, I've got a few demos that I kind of keep for myself, um, <laughs> but most of my IP I happily give away and and see other people doing it. Um, and then that kind of pushes me to keep being inventive myself. The beauty about it is, is that it really is eventually just working with people and it has communication in the title. So I kind of think about, I mean, we often, um, especially in the sort of world I work in, you know, it's all about demonstrations or hands-on experiences that kids can have, but it could be comms done through paper. It can be done through various media. It could be, I mean, I think about the fringe festivals. I mean, there's comedy that can be done. There's drama, there's sculpture that can be done. I mean, even just thinking about the way people write interpretive signage within the museum, it takes a skill so that people of all different persuasions can actually understand what on earth they're actually trying to describe mm. and still be true to the science. Uh, it does take time and it does take, well, putting it out there and getting feedback. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's iterative. I think, you know, across all those mediums, um, you know, I think, I think there's deeper things that, that underpin all of them. You know, we've got to, like, as we've been talking about making it relevant for our audience, connecting emotionally, um, you know, there's all those fundamental things, but yeah, I think particularly in the, the kind of methods that I use, whether that's, um, so I do a lot of science shows, that was my, my kind of, I don't know, uh, gateway experience yeah. into um, science communication. Um, but from then you kind of realise, oh, right, well, you know, a show's great, if, you know, especially if I've got a thousand kids in front of me. Um, but, you know, what if I only got three kids in front of me, you know, and then I thought, all right, well, no, these kind of hands on methods, things where um, the the audience has a lot more control and a lot more um, uh, autonomy for what they do. And I think going back to your stuff around making and making and tinkering, you know, big um, kind of pedagogy uh, mm. coming into schools at the moment and really puts, um, you know, puts the students in the driver's seat. And I think um that kind of thing is is really important, and I think those those kind of underlying issues, um, uh, you know, when we're doing science communication, and this could be a, a teacher in a classroom, or it could be me doing capacity building, or, or whatever else. But you know, how we um, uh, essentially respecting our audience and giving them you know agency and control, and you know, you can't always you know. <laughs> you know, you can't have a thousand kids in front of you and go, go on, do some open-ended learning. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's something I think about a lot in my practice uh, as I've gone forward as well about how much um, how much I'm trying to to control within the science communication and how much of that power I'm handing over. And I think, um, I mean, in a teaching situation, you kind of, you know, you're handing a lot of that over. Um, you know, and checking the risk assessments very carefully. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think that I think that's another fundamental thing we have to think about as educators and as science communicators. Like how can we um 
how can we give our students or our audiences agency and um, how can that be meaningful and and you know how, how's that kind of negotiated so it's something I've been thinking a, a bit more about recently as I've um I don't know relaxed my hair's changed color um, <laughs> but yeah yeah important important ideas I think in education and science communication yeah it all comes down to the outcomes doesn't it I mean I think about um there's the meaningful how does this link to my life uh through to full-blown career pathways you know we'll do this then we'll do this and there's the, all the way through to actually placement within an organization they're all different outcomes but if i feel when you look at all the different respective organizations that are out there across the planet not just in australia i mean there's a lot of well-meaning people reaching millions of people every year uh i'm hoping there's a, as, a, as a role as, a, as an industry per se that we're literacy you know, we're lift, lifting literacy in a different way so that you know as they consume media on that or they're watching the latest tiktok science youtuber whatever person they're watching and whatever medium comes up next uh that they can have a little bit of a thought about is this right is this true does this affect me does it affect my friends my community and all, all the rest literacy matters and that's a lot of yeah. the way that we're actually do, we're working on this yeah absolutely and i think um you know, I think something just just related to that, I think about a, a fair bit in my practice is, you know, you've kind of got your science content, um, you know, your facts about physics or chemistry or climate change or whatever it is. Um, um, but then you've got those processes that go with science and that, you know, that critical thinking, mm. that curiosity that, you know, how am I going to test if an idea, you know, that, that scientific method and all the process things that go with science. And I think... Um, like I think they're sometimes underdone in, in science communication where we're very focused on um you know getting the the facts across and and you know obviously um for teachers where you've got a curriculum and yeah. I can I bet money it's crowded wherever you're watching <laughs> um yeah sometimes those I guess you know those underlying um skills and you know process oriented parts of science I think get underbaked um something I mean if you look at curriculums around the world I'm, I'm involved in um uh, kind of curriculum design project in the Solomon Islands um just been involved in um school gardening projects in Papua New Guinea and Kenya and does seem um within formal education uh a much greater acknowledgement that those kind of processes, attributes, capabilities uh, are just as important as the, you know, the facts that that students leave with. I mean, I'd argue they're they're more important, but they're also harder to teach, um, in my experience. Um, yeah, so, but but good good to see. I think um kind of uh, priorities in science classrooms broadening, um, particularly um, in low and middle income countries as well. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Now, I feel like it'd be remiss of me not to ask, considering what you do in behind all the things, and this is unfair, it's like picking your favourite child. You can't. <laughs> so if you had to choose, like if you had to, I don't know, just, like, let's just pretend. Next door, you got 300 kids walking through the door. I don't know. you got to quickly grab something in the corridor on the way to the stage because suddenly you've got to do a thing, <laughs> whatever that thing might be. If you're going to go, hey, I want to, I want to show something fun, awesome and relatable to any public audience that you feel like talking to what would you grab oh it's hard isn't it it's not very fair 
Yeah, no, I mean, it depends a bit on who they were. I mean, my go-to and mm. um, usually it actually goes back to your water and the, that ah. cup and what I call cup and card and then a variation on that where you've got the fly screen. Most ah, yes. people probably will have seen that. Um, yeah, like if I'm going to perform internationally, usually my suitcase is chock-a-block with that show and usually there's a tiny little gap where I'll fit in um, that. And and in fact, I've used it in exactly the, the circumstance you're describing when another presenter was flustered because their show was so complicated. Oh, I'm not ready to go on. Yeah. Like, Don't worry, I've got two cups. Keep them busy yep. for at least 10 minutes. <laughs> um, yes, that would definitely be a go-to. Um, I mean, equally, yeah, and I think with 300 kids, that would be a go-to. I'm really in the kind of open-ended tinkering. You can see a little yep. trolley I found discarded somewhere on the campus and bits and pieces. I think, um, you know, if you had a smaller number of, of kids or anyone, adults, I think that that's another really good go-to because, um, uh, you know, when you, you know, talking about what we uh going back to what we we're talking about before when you hand over that power and creativity to your audience and and you got some physical things that they can do with that um if that's well facilitated then you know that, that you potentially you know spend a day with you know some stuff you found in the stationery cupboard so um yeah yeah, yeah different, uh, context, different tools definitely agree and especially on the tinkering side i mean my experience going in working with um, different groups of students, same age, uh, is it's highly dependent on what they've been exposed to prior. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, anyone listening in, try this, just grab some random stuff. doesn't matter. I don't care. It could be sti sticky tape, wooden sticks, whatever, whatever's hanging around. And um, you want to talk open-ended. Imagine just dumping that on the table and say, kids, in 10 minutes, I'd love something to happen with this. Doesn't, I don't care what it is. doesn't yeah. matter. And some will love it. And some will look you aghast. They'll look at you like you've given the world's worst task ever. There's no procedure. There's no how to do the thing. And what's interesting, because I've done this before, I've done it with teachers all the way down to really young ones, is the first time is a bit of a struggle. And the second time, it's less of a struggle. And guess what happens? If you imagine if you have yourself, I mean, actually, I think they talk about formula as a genius hour. But if you do this thing over and over again, it starts to change your mindset on failure. Starts to change your mindset on, hey, you actually start looking at materials differently. You start mm. looking, you look at a straw and go, well, a straw is sort of flexible. Well, it's also sort of hard if I use it the right way. It can support stuff, but only in a certain direction. And you have to look at things differently. And I, I kind of feel like it'd be kind of neat if we could give us, and you talk about crowded curriculum, my gosh, isn't it? But imagine how the ability to have I don't care what you do in this hour, just produce a thing somehow. Mm, yeah. And and I think, um, you, you know, you hinted at some ways that I think, um, you know, teachers can use this because I think for a lot of teachers, um, you know, they're worried, oh, I've got to get through the curriculum, all these other things, and they're real pressures. And I, um, I, I really feel for teachers as an informal educator, I have great respect for, mm. you know, anyone that can make an engaging classroom while, ticking all the boxes, doing all the admin, all that stuff. Um, but but as far as those approaches, I think often, um, uh, you know, teachers can be hesitant to use them because that idea of like, well, what's the lesson look like? Well, Chaos. Stuff, do something with it. <laughs> um, but actually breaking that down into, yeah. um, you know, into little stages. I mean, what you said about, um, 
you know, identifying the the properties of these different materials, you know, so, you know, I've got a bit of paper, you know, it's strong this way, but it's weak that way. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, if it gets wet, it'll break, you know, all these things, Um, you know, it's breaking it down into little bite-sized chunks. And I think, um, you, you know, one of the balances in a, a setting like that is, um letting your audience have or letting your students have that control and you know driving their own ideas but not in a way that they're going to go oh I've got no ideas or you know I, that, that makes them feel anxious so kind of breaking it down into those chunks um you know you know the, the workshop say Questicon that that's one of the, the places they start with is all right um classify these materials differently yeah. or um, write down the properties of these materials and you break it into chunks um where we've taken that in in some of the programs we run uh here at the ANU is you know after you've done a few things like that um people have created something fun and then you can say all right um you know create something to you know give them a little scenario or a problem to solve you know a, I don't know make something to feed your pet while you're not there um, but where we've taken that is actually, all right, well, you know, now we can start taking, you built those um, creative problem-solving skills and those prototyping skills. All right, now um, think about a, a problem related to climate change in your local community. Can you, you know, invent something there? So it's kind of, um, you know, giving giving them those process skills and then leading them towards, you know, content that can make a difference, but, but letting them go on that journey. And the good news about that is that it may not necessarily cost thousands of dollars to buy a thing because we're giving them the skills to do it with just random bits. Yeah. And it's possible. It, it's, it's a mindset change that we're affecting. Yeah, yeah. Our local materials, Ben, I'm a huge advocate. Um, mm. You know, whether you're a... Um, an informal educator or a teacher, you, you know, you need to have the stuff and you don't want, you know, if you're a teacher in Tuvalu, you, you don't want to have to order things from, you know, you don't want to have to order fancy science supplies from somewhere in the US or Australia. You, you, and you can do a lot of that stuff with, you know, stuff from the corner store and um, it's cheaper, it's more relevant locally, uh, it's more accessible, you can get multiple sets so kids can do it. So, yeah, there's a lot, um, I think, a lot going for 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 those local items. And I've had some, like, funny experiences, like, you know, because, um, say, with the, the capacity building programs in Africa, you know, you kind of pack your suitcase full of, like, stuff you're sure you won't be able to find and everything else you're kind of improvising, you know, walking through the, the supermarket, um, yeah. grabbing all kinds of random stuff. Um yeah, but I still a little anecdote for you here um, sure. with everyday items. We were, uh, I was traveling with a colleague. We, we did a massive trip as part of Science Circus Africa. And we drove from Johannesburg um, through Botswana, Zambia, Malawi, and we'd previously gone to Mauritius before that. Um, we were at a border crossing, uh, I think it was Malawi, Zambia. And, you know, guy, big machine gun, looking mm. pretty grumpy, like, you know, most customs officials you see. Yeah. And and you can see our cars full of stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of issues with um, uh, wildlife smuggling, things like that. So he's when he's like, you know, asking us all these questions and we tell him what we're doing um, and end up, um, he goes, are you doing science education? He goes, oh, well, show me some of it. And oh, cool. <laughs> my, my colleague, Joe, bless him, he had a, um, you know, the kidney cards, you know, yes. kidney cards, folks at home, um, you know, you've got these two kind of kidney shaped cards and um, depending on where you hold them, 
uh, one looks bigger than the other. Try try yourself. They're actually the same size, but it's it's a tricks of perception in your brain. Um, so I've got these photos, this this big <laughs> machine gun clad border guard, and my colleague kind of doing kidney cards out the window <laughs> at this border stop. And um, you know, we've done musical straws at other border stops and things like that. So yeah, just I think um. You know, it's more accessible. The other thing about everyday items and why I really encourage science teachers to use them wherever they can rather than fancy equipment. There's exceptions yeah. and safety is a big exception. Um, but, but you know, it doesn't paint a picture that uh, STEM is different from the world, okay? If, if I have to use a beaker rather than a glass, I'm kind of saying, oh, no, look, this is special, special science stuff and it's different to the stuff in your everyday life. So... Through that physical act of, of using those everyday items wherever we can, we're kind of saying, no, look, the, these two worlds are the same. And when you leave your science classroom, the, the stuff we've learned is just as relevant in your kitchen or, um, you know, fixing your plumbing or whatever. Um, but I think a lot of the work or a lot of the issues with formal science education um, is that, that, you know, it can set up um, different worlds. And, and that's even more extreme if you come from a cultural background that that kind of isn't in you know embedded in Western STEM, which is which is regrettably most of STEM that we hear about. Oh, totally. And I even think about um, programs where people ask, "So, will you wear a lab coat?" It's like, no, we we really don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually gets in the way <laughs> and so we've actually made a point of uh right we're going to put it on now because we need it and now we're getting rid of it because we don't and it's sort of yeah it's, it's, it is important sort of sort of a thing i mean you know, as you said safety is important i'm actually even thinking now the kids you, know, you talk about the musical straws well aware of that done that plenty of times that they are actually at least well aware of things like i mean in australia i mean single use straws have been banned correctly and we have been getting slowly uh, a little bit of flack and understanding from the kids they go hey you can't use that straw we go yeah but it's being used now to teach you about science and it'll be gone because it was already made we already had ten thousand straws in a box at work <laughs> we've got ten thousand <laughs> demos worth here and we're going to use them um but it's good that the kids actually are um keeping up with the current events and i suppose as science communicators and teachers we have to do the same absolutely yeah i mean i've got colleagues that work on you know making sure science research is responsible and sustainable and thinks about you know the bigger picture mm. i think um i mean the, the whole reason we have science communication is that um historically science and society uh have not been you know necessarily overlapping circles in the way yeah. that you'd want them to be um yeah but with the straws yeah i think where i'm going i'm i'm the same as you that I have a large collection of plastic straws, um, particularly as I'm seen as a dumping ground for other people's stuff, which, which <laughs> yes, I embrace, yeah. by the way. Um, yeah, but, but actually having, I think, a plastic one that's the reed and then, you know, the the disposable one that's the straw. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, I think, um, you know, as science communicators, we, we have to we have to walk the talk. Um, it's know, a good like talking that. point. Yeah, yeah. So I actually Absolutely. like a bit of friction um, if we're running a program. It, it gives you something to talk about. That's not necessarily yeah. just a demo. Yeah, yeah. And that, um, you know, that call to action for people to improvise, use what they can find, um, you know, solve, solve those problems. Yeah. Had a bunch of, you know, kits and things that have been my go to, to, um, you know, retrofit and things, and then you, you can't buy them anymore. And, and you know, that's like, oh, no. But then it forces you to be creative, which is always a good thing. Oh, for sure. So there'll be people listening in 
um, of all different uh, walks of life. Uh, I'm just imagining. So if you had uh, a variety of different educators in front of you, it doesn't matter if they're formal, if they're informal, if they're working at a magazine, producing copy, or if they're whatever they're doing, they're, they're, in some way they're engaged in communicating the science. What would be a simplistic but effective, important thing to take away from a class from yourself where they, where they had to, if you, in other words, a piece of advice for if you're going to communicate science, here's something to keep always in the back of your head. Um, yeah, I think it'd be going back to that idea of relevance. And, and I mean, you know, one of the mantras of any kind of com, uh, communication is, you know, think about your audience first and foremost. But I think having tools to actually break down um, how the audience um, perceives that science uh, and how it's relevant to them. Um, so like I was mentioning earlier, I think that's a really key one. Um, another one I bang on a lot about is uh, emotional engagement. Um, and I think, um, and and not just looking at it like, oh, you know, I want people to be excited or I want them to be, you know, emotionally engaged, but actually thinking about, well, you know, there's there's different emotions that are helpful for different types of science communication. I'm sure a lot of the people listening to this would think about, you know, science demos and hands-on activities. And I mean, surprise as an emotion is so critical for, for keeping people engaged, but it's also the moment um, that, that really novel learning happens because your brain, you know, surprises your brain's way of going, hey, I don't know what's going on there. Like I don't yeah. have that knowledge. So surprise, um, you know, it's a fabulous feeling. Um, but it's also a really important moment in in learning. And I mean, when um when I'm communicating science, it's probably the engagement and the the motivational, effective, affective side that is more important for me. Um, but obviously, if you're a, a teacher trying to get the curriculum across, you know you have to be you know really thinking about the content as well. And say an emotional like surprise is is very potent in in a situation like that. And frankly, fun. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. It is, yeah, yeah. So that was, I think, when when I did my doctorate, the working out how all these intuitive things you pick up as a a science communication practitioner, how they're actually operating on a psychological level. It was like, whoa, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, can you imagine people have with an MRI machine around them when they're doing this? Uh, maybe we should do that as a bit of piece of research. Is watching a, yeah. a science show. Yeah, sometimes fancy tools aren't the best. <laughs> I mean, if someone had an MRI, don't get me wrong, I'd be happy to do a demo for them. But I talked to a bloke, uh, he was doing research in zoos and he oh, wanted yeah. people up heart monitors. Oh, right. He really stuff. did the whole thing. Yeah, and I go, oh, do you reckon I should do that for my science show's thesis? He goes, nah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But but I think um to, to go back uh, to your question, yeah, thinking about um not just yeah, not just the you know the, the the facts and the content, but actually, you know, getting people excited about it or or maybe getting them reflective about it. Um so I've been doing a lot of engagement around climate change recently and and quite often that's not a you know, it's not surprising in a good way. So I think um, acknowledging that science has that emotional dimension is is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. So look, thank you very much for hanging out with me, uh, especially uh, in a busy uh, commencement of this year. Undoubtedly, there'd be some people who'd love to get in touch with you. How would they do that? Um, best way you can find me on Twitter and Facebook less less often. Twitter is a good spot and it's at Dr. Graham. So just D-R-G-R-A-H-A-M-S. Um, if 
people yeah people can get in touch with me that way uh if you google uh dr graham walker cpas cpas um you'll find all the details about where i work at the center for the public awareness of science if you're interested in studying science communication either as an undergraduate as part of a science degree or a postgraduate and um for listeners overseas the australian government have got some really tasty um scholarships for um several african countries most Pacific and um, Southeast Asian countries. Um, we've got a really diverse cohort here. Um, so yeah, if, you, if you're keen to take your science communication to, to the next level, um, very much welcome students at all levels here as well. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much again. And uh, hope to see you maybe in person would be great <laughs> again at some point uh, as we go back to the very start of this conversation about in that library. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I saw you had a team down at the Canberra show. I didn't get out there myself, but um, you did. Um, that was good to see. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, always happy to have a chat, and um, uh, always open to ideas for collaboration as well. On that note, I, I will be. Um, I'm currently developing some resources around climate change. So, um, if either you or people on the podcast, uh, I'll be looking to to um, disperse that IP far and wide and um, do research on how people actually use that. So um, yeah, that, that could be a, a potential place to work together this year. Sounds fantastic. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Awesome. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me and see you later, everyone. We hope you've been enjoying the Physics Ed podcast. We love making science make sense. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? If you're outside of Australia, you can connect with us via a virtual excursion. See our website for more. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dr. Graham Walker. I certainly did. And as a science communicator, it was so fascinating to watch his mind tick when it comes to, well, science education in different ways to present science. He couldn't help himself but talk about some of his favorite science experiments. Doesn't surprise me whatsoever. And thank you, Graham, for hanging out, especially coming into this busy time as you kick off yet another postgraduate year. And considering the work you're doing with the Science Circus Pacific and Science Circus Africa, you've got a lot on your plate. So look, thanks very much for hanging out with me. And you, the listener, thank you for hanging out with me as well throughout the Physics Ed series. There are over 150 episodes of this podcast and there's more to come as usual. So guess what? There is. There's more to come. So anyway, you've been listening to me, Ben Newsom from Physics Education. This is the Physics Ed podcast, and I'm glad to have you along for the ride. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au